Sound Opinions is supported by Goose Island, pairing beer and music since 1988. Goose Island Beer Company, Chicago, Illinois. Listen critically, enjoy responsibly. Good music is what we want to hear. What do you mean, good music? It's what we dance to, what our children will dance to. And if you don't want to play it, then take your records and go home. You have a band, good or bad. It's a great band, it's a bad band, it's like pizza, baby. It's good no matter what, there's music in the air. From punk rock godmother Patti Smith to indie rock up-and-comer Ty Siegel, there's a big bag of releases we're excited about this summer. I'm Jim DeRogatis from WBEZ and Columbia College. And I'm Greg Kahn of the Chicago Tribune. We'll review this summer's big new releases, and Jim will add a song to the Desert Island Jukebox. That's all coming up on Sound Opinions. You're listening to Sound Opinions, and time now for some music news. You know, Greg, to the extent that anybody agrees about anything commerce-wise on the Internet, the unequivocal success story is the iTunes store that Apple runs. Last quarter alone, $1.9 billion in revenue. If something ain't broke, why fix it? Well, that's not the Apple way. Apple's always reinventing itself. For the first time since its 2003 debut, the Apple iTunes store is looking at some significant changes. All of this is according to sources who cover the web, of course, because Apple keeps everything under wraps until the big dramatic announcement whenever they choose. But apparently, before the end of the year, the iTunes store is going to be changing. One thing many people have been asking for is something more akin to what Spotify is doing, a music subscription service. The sources who are writing about this on the net are saying, no, Apple's not going to do that, but they are going to try to make it easier to both store your files and to share them with friends, which is something that Spotify really makes easy. Apple has been negotiating with the major labels to make sure that this is going to be hunky-dory with everybody, and you will now be able to integrate more closely your iTunes storage and playlists and all of that with your iCloud, this notion that you can access your storage locker in the sky from anywhere on any device if you purchase something from iTunes, and apparently also share it with your pals. We're going to have to wait and see exactly what the details are, but changes are coming to Apple's iTunes, according to Bloomberg and other journalists who are covering the web. That is the British band Muse with a track called Survival that has been chosen as the official track of this year's Summer Olympic Games in London. 
And all I can say, Jim, is unbelievable. Boy, is that bad. <laughs> Muse is a band, of all the arena mainstream bands of the last decade, Muse is the one I dislike the most. I cannot get them. I've never understood them. That big, over-the-top poser feel to a lot of their songs. This is the ultimate pose. Sample lyrics. I'll light the fuse and I'll never lose. Yes, I'm going to win. Matt Bellamy, the <laughs> poet laureate of the Olympic Games. There's the spirit of sportsmanship. Boy, oh boy. He said, I wrote it with the games in mind as it expresses a sense of conviction and determination to win. So many bands that they could have chosen from with a London pedigree, great songs, a history of great songs coming out of that city. Any number of them would have topped this one. But let's throw it out to the listeners. Give us a call at 888-859-1800 and nominate your choice for the official track of this year's Olympic Games. When you're That is Island in the Sun from Weezer. Weezer, by all accounts, has been spending a lot of time in the sun lately. They were just on a cruise with Dinosaur Jr. among 16 bands, hosting a few thousand of their closest friends and fans. An under-the-radar phenomenon for a few years. In the last couple of years, these rock cruises have become much better known. They are making good money. The fans are paying good money to get up close and personal with some of their heroes. To talk about this increasingly very profitable branch of the music industry, we're going to talk to Joe Levy, the editor of Billboard magazine, who recently wrote an article about this phenomenon in the New York Times Sunday magazine. Joe, welcome to the show. Afternoon, gentlemen. So you're blowing my mind, Joe. You went on a rock cruise with Weezer and Dinosaur Jr. I don't oh, think, yeah. I don't think we could have imagined this happening uh, 10 or 15 years ago. I don't think we could have imagined it happening even two years ago or five years ago, but, but this is where we've arrived. Uh, yeah, no, uh, Dinosaur Jr. and Weezer, the headliner on the Weezer cruise. This is a very profitable, growing branch of the music industry, these rock cruises. I mean, you would associate this with sort of a, a Vegas kind of schmaltz thing. You know, obviously when you've got Cannibal Corpse doing it, that's a whole other level, or Weezer or Dinosaur Jr. What made it cool? I'm not sure anything did make it cool. There are cool bands doing this. There's a there's a punk cruise, the Bruise Cruise, headlined uh, the last one by Effed Up. I've got to think that cruise is fairly ironic. But, you know, rock and roll and partying have gone together for a long time. This is a chance to do it. What's made it feasible is the rise of the festival. Audiences are now accustomed to doing all of their hardcore rock and roll live show work in two or three days. Mm. And this is a chance for them to take what they get out of festivals and uh, do it on the high seas. Well, yeah. the other thing I was thinking of, we all know that a lot of artists don't like to mingle all that much with their fans. I mean, they'll do yeah. a certain amount of it afterwards, pressing the flesh, you know, thank you, thank you, thank you, and then they want to chill. Now, when Kid Rock's on a cruise or something, you know, are people like, jumping in the hot tub with him before he's playing? How do the artists handle it? Uh, if he's it? in the hot tub, people are jumping in the hot tub with him. And, and Kid Rock, who brought this 
music cruise to prominence. He and John Mayer both did cruises with this company out of Atlanta, Six Man, that organizes a lot of this stuff. That's where people started taking notice. It's also a tipping point where it went from Frankie Avalon headlining the Malt Shop Memories Cruise <laughs> to current artists taking a boat out because they thought it would be fun. I'm flashing on Jay Maskus, looking like he does these days in a, yes. in, a, in a bathing suit. I don't think I want to see that of Dinosaur <laughs> Jr. I don't even want to see Rivers Cuomo, who's a fairly good-looking guy in a bathing suit. I, I cannot confirm or deny that either of these men were in bathing suits on this cruise. I did see them both uh, wandering about, Jay Maskus up on the deck. There was something a little weird about getting off the ship in Cozumel, Mexico, where we docked for a day, and realizing I was debarking with Jay Maskus, who was in purple uh, high tops and um, <laughs> long shorts that are not pants. It was strange, because this is a guy who I think of, and his legend is, I don't talk to people. And that was one of the odd things about this particular cruise. Weezer has their party anthems, but their founding legend is on two records full of songs about how alienated Rivers Cuomo is. And then there's Dinosaur Jr., a band that, as I say, it always seemed like the guy in charge would rather turn up his guitar than talk or even sing. Mm-hmm. It is it is kind of a weird disconnect there. Obviously, there's got to be something in it for both parties. Who are going on these cruises? What are they paying? And what are the artists getting out of it uh, besides exposure? Obviously, they've got to be getting some serious dime to be doing these things. The headliners can make some good coin. That is certainly true. I can't speak to what anyone on the Weezer cruise was paid exactly. I can tell you that a headliner in other situations a headliner of Kid Rock's stature, could make more than a million dollars for three days' work. To go on vacation. Uh, To go on vacation, to play four or five shows. So that's part of the deal. Also, they get to take people with them. You know, I bumped into Brian Bell, the guitarist for for Weezer in Miami. He was taking his mom on the cruise. Um, (laughs) You know, it's not very rock and roll, but very, very sweet. Well, well, Joe, Joe, we got to ask you, as some commentators to your piece in the Times said, is this the last nail in the coffin for rock music when we've come to this level where, you know, band members are bringing their moms along on a cruise that people are paying a thousand bucks uh, to go spend time with them. Jeez, I don't know. I, I mean, I think people have been putting the last nail in the coffin since the Beatles broke up. So it, it, all I can say is the coffin seems able to take a lot of nails. <laughs> um, I, it, it isn't where you go to discover the beating heart of rock and roll coming into existence. On the other hand, I saw some good music. And there were bands who I'd never seen play live before, uh, whose records I admired. Uh, Yuck was one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Antlers was another. Uh, both really good. Joe Levy is the editor of Billboard magazine. Joe, thanks for being on Sound Opinions. Oh, uh, thanks so much, fellas. I feel You're listening to Sound Opinions. Come be my You're 
You're listening to Sound Opinions, and that is a song called April Fool, which is the first single from the new album by Patti Smith, Banga, with the exclamation point, the 11th record of that punk godmother's career. Born in Chicago, raised in New Jersey, spent her early years in the uh, New York scene on the Lower East Side, living uh, for a time with photographer Robert Mapplethorpe. Patty has been looking back over her life seemingly um, forever (laughs) since she started having a life. Four classic albums in the 70s, starting with Horses, vastly influential. She married Fred Sonic Smith, the guitarist of the MC5, and dropped out of music for a good long time to be a uh, wife and a mother. After her husband died and several other people close to her died, she became active again in the late 90s. And since then, she has now given us more albums than she did in her original incarnation, often collaborating with the original members of the Patti Smith group, some of them anyway, drummer J.D. Doherty, longtime guitarist Lenny Kay. She's got a new bassist who's been with her quite some time now, Tony Shanahan. Television guitarist Tom Verlaine often drops by. All of these people are on her new album. Patti hasn't made an album of new material in quite some time. She's been doing art exhibits, gallery shows, readings for her book. This is her first record of new material in eight years, the 11th overall, as I said. Let's hear a track, and then we'll come back and give our reviews. This is a song written about the great Italian explorer, Amerigo Vespucci, called Amerigo on Sound Opinions. We were going to see the world. In this land, we placed baptismal fonts and an infinite number were baptized. And they called us Karabi, which means men of great wisdom. Amerigo from Patti Smith. The new album is called Banga. I love that as the introductory track to this album. We are going to see the world, Patti yeah. Smith says. <laughs> Let's and, break know, all the rules. That's pretty much her uh, calling card on this record. I'm going to take you around the world. She brings the record full circle, that track Constantine's Dream, 
ends with this painter, Piero della Francesca, dying as Columbus lands in North America in 1492. And meanwhile, she's taken you around the world. I mean, she's referencing Russian novels, French movies, Amy Winehouse. She is talking about the call of art, how it still influences her life, how it still inspires her. And the music is equally globetrotting. Uh, we're talking about punk rock and the title song. She's referencing one of her heroes, Sun Ra and Tarkovsky, Celtic folk and mosaic, doo-wop and early R&B in This Girl, and this band, this little four-piece band that she's put together. Jim, as you mentioned, she's been working with Lenny Kane and Jay Doherty since the 70s. They have such an empathy and understanding of what she wants to do that they can range with her. At 65, you've got an artist here who's still excited about the world around her, and she's drawing connections across history between cultures, generations, different styles of music. You know, she really began the second phase of her career in the mid-'90s. I think this is one of the strongest albums in the second phase of Patti Smith's career. I give Banga a buy-it rating. Greg, I couldn't agree more. It's absolutely a buy-it record. I think it's one of Patti Smith's masterpieces. And despite the praise I gave her up top, I have to say those four albums in the 70s, each of them are must-own classics. I think her career since the comeback in the 90s has been spotty. I was not a fan of gung-ho, trampin', or the cover album 12. I think she's been pulling her punches musically, and she really has been all about uh, legacy building. You know, I am the great Patti Smith. Here... Recorded scattershot over the course of a year while she's doing these art shows and these book readings, you know, she seems to have relaxed and let the musicians be as important a part of the show as they were in the 70s. I think of an album like Radio Ethiopia, which was just as much about the music as it was the lyrics. She's got a very conscious nod to that here with Constantine's Dream, a freeform jazz excursion with this freeform poetry on top. All of the beauty the beauty entwined with the future, the 21st century, advancing like the angel, advancing like the angel that had come to Constantine, Constantine in his dream. Oh, this is your cross to bear. Oh, Lord. She's relaxing more and not trying to remind us all the time with every single line of lyric that she is a capital A artist. And that's when she makes her best art. And the fact that it's about loving art and not being able to imagine producing art as she continues her life makes it all the sweeter. I gotta say, very enthusiastic double buy it for Patti Smith's Banga. Coming up on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX, more Buy It, Burn It, Trash It ratings of new albums by R&B legend Bobby Womack and former Sound Opinions guests, Best Coast. And later, I'll pop a quarter in the Desert Island jukebox. This is the girl for whom all tears fall. This is the girl who is having a ball. Just a dark smear, mask in the eyes, spirited away, buried in size. This is the girl who crossed the line. This is the song of the smothering fire. It is laurel to crown her head. Late as a wreath on her bed. 
I could try to say I'm sorry, but that won't be quite enough to let you know the pain that I feel, and it just won't let up. Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Greg Cott with Jim DeRogatis, and you're hearing a little bit of the new Bobby Womack album, The Bravest Man in the Universe. That track is called Please Forgive My Heart. Bobby Womack, man, where to begin with this guy? Born in Cleveland, started a gospel group with his brothers back in the 50s. He toured with Sam Cooke as Sam Cooke's guitar player, and Cooke also signed the Womack Gospel Singers to his label. Later on, Womack wrote what would become the first U.K. number one hit for the Rolling Stones. It's all over now. And he was a session guy on a number of classic records in the 60s and early 70s, played for people like Aretha Franklin, Janis Joplin, Sly Stone. Came out of that gig and ended up releasing a string of classic R&B albums in the 70s. Songs like Across 110th Street came out of this period. Uh, Some of you may recall that track being used prominently in Quentin Tarantino's movie Jackie Brown. But there was a whole bunch of other great records in that period as well. Albums like Communication, Understanding, Facts of Life made Womack one of the key figures in R&B from that decade, not only as a guitar player and melodist, but his incredibly poetic lyrics. And in fact, he came back in the 80s in the post-disco era with a couple of albums aptly titled The Poet and The Poet Two, that are now also considered R&B classics. But Womack also had some serious addiction issues with drugs and alcohol. After about the early 90s, pretty much dropped out of sight dealing with his issues, Damon Albarn of Blur and the Gorillas brought Womack back in uh, 2010 to work on Gorillas' Plastic Beach album and then subsequent tour, and suddenly Womack was back on the map. Almost immediately after, Albarn said, hey man, you know, you still got it, let's make a whole album. So Albarn and Richard Russell, the head of XL Recordings, went into the studio with Womack and recorded an entire album of new material with this great R&B singer, his first in nearly two decades. It's called The Bravest Man in the Universe. We're going to play the title track from it, and then we're going to give our review. This is The Bravest Man in the Universe from Bobby Womack on Sound Opinions. I got a story I want to tell Gather around me, gather around me, boys and girls. I once was lost, but now I'm found. When I bear up so high, I always know how to come down. The bravest man 
Bobby Womack with the title track from his new album, The Bravest Man in the Universe. Greg, I am the uh, second biggest Damon Albarn fan on the Sound Opinion staff. Our producer, Jason Saldana, agrees with me. The man's a genius, but he is not infallible. I only need to point to the album he gave us earlier this year, his opera, Dr. D. And he hasn't always really done the best stuff with the guests he's had on albums like the Gorillaz releases. We've got this trend of alternative era heroes working with first and second generation R&B and rock stars lately. You know, I'm thinking of Dan Auerbach of the Black Keys working with Dr. John. I'm thinking of Jack White working with Loretta Lynn and Wanda Jackson. Jeff Tweedy working with Mavis Stables. I think Albarn and Womack really click, and they do it by refusing to live in the past. A lot of these other records really go back to history, whereas Womack allowed Albarn to craft up-to-date electronic soul backing tracks. This is this is music that absolutely could be made in 2012, and Womack is, is subtle enough and supple enough to be able to wrap his voice around it. You know, the lyrics are the timeless themes of this guy who's had bad things happen to him in his life and who's done bad things, considering, you know, the ramifications of all that, and sometimes apologizing and sometimes bragging. And yet, you know, it's familiar turf for him, but it's musically challenging new and innovative. I was really surprised by this record. I was challenged by it, and I've come to love it. I give Bravest Man in the Universe a buy it rating. Well, the key for me, Jim, is that they, as you said, they don't try to recreate Womack's past. At the same time, I think it's important that Womack be understood and be appreciated because I think he'd pretty much been forgotten. I mean, nobody talked about this guy anymore over the last couple decades, and with good reason. He had dropped off the map. Albarn puts him back on the map by creating these contemporary backdrops for that incredible, timeless voice. The sandpaper quality Mm. to that vocal that he has. You can hear the struggle in his voice. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of anger in this record. But he's not going to bend to it. He's not going to succumb to it. The album is slightly watered down. I think it could have been even better if they had made some smarter decisions. Like, why would you want to give a couple of tracks over completely to these guest vocalists, including Lana Del Rey. I, yeah, I, don't, see, I, I don't understand that. I don't like her, but I think on that track, Dayglo Reflections, it's the first time I've really appreciated Lana Del Rey. I think it works well. But it's Womack's record, and I'm not sure why she's kind of the, the lead vocalist as opposed to a background vocalist. But I got to say, over countless listens, this record really won me over just to hear Womack back in a position of strength again. Totally improbable comeback. I'm glad he's here, and I would give it a buy it rating as well. Searing piece of sonic joy is a song called Death 
that opens the new album from Ty Siegel Band called Slaughterhouse. Ty Siegel is another of these young artists who has made his mark primarily until now as a bedroom lo-fi recording artist. I'm thinking also of Cloud Nothings. And similar to that band's transition, now is a full band. This guy is incredibly prolific, coming from Orange County, California, part of a, a sort of revival of garage rock in the San Francisco area right now. He plays in half a dozen bands, and he's given us eight releases since 2008. Now comes this new album, Slaughterhouse, which for the first time is credited to the Ty Siegel Band. It's a trio. It's produced by Chris Woodhouse. It seems like he's poised to reach a bigger audience. Let's play a song and then come back and give our opinions. This is I Bought My Eyes by Ty Siegel on Sound Opinions. Bought My Eyes from the Ty Siegel Band, the new album Slaughterhouse. As Jim said, incredibly prolific. I think this is the best Ty Siegel album yet, though. There is almost a single-minded insistence on this record that everything has got to be harder, higher, faster, until everything explodes. You know, people talk about this nexus of noise and melody, Jim, right? You and I both Mm -hmm. love that combination. They usually do one or the other really well. This guy's mastered both. The noise is at an extreme level on this record. I mean, he has made no attempt to clean it up or or, or somehow sanitize it. It's a nasty and, record. And at the same time, he's got those melodies fighting. And what I keep hearing, I keep hearing this mythic battle. As a fan of early comic books, let's let's put it this way: the, the sort of good versus evil dichotomy, light versus dark, and that's what's going on in this album. And in that song, I think you heard it perfectly, where the melody is fighting to get out and be heard over the noise, and you're constantly hearing this push and pull between those two forces throughout the record. He's mastered that. He's turned it into a a, a great fight for my attention. I can't get enough of this record. The only thing I'm going to tweak him on a little bit 
is I'm not quite sure I'm buying the 10 minutes of fuzzed out drone at the end of the record. I would have liked three more songs in there, but now I see why he sort of put it in there. After you have this apocalyptic battle, you sort of need to survey the battlefield afterward and, and check out all the bodies that have been felled in this I, inimitable battle that he's having. So I'm going to have to give it a buy rating all the way. I think you're missing the point of Fuzz War, that track that ends the <laughs> album. You know, Slaughterhouse sounds a lot like Funhouse, yeah. and I think that the, what Iggy and the Stooges were doing on that second record, this is his nod to that. But but who knows? This guy's all over the map. In the past, those those solo releases have been divided between a sort of weird psychedelic folkiness at times, Sid Barrett, Skip Spence, Lennon in his Stranger Moments, and then a real garage rock old-fashioned roots, Sonic's standells, okay? Here he brings it both together. He says he's making evil space rock, but what it really is is this noisy garage rock with the classic kind of almost Britpop melodies. From time to time, he kind of lapses into a British accent. It's great stuff. I can't get enough of it either. I agree with you. An enthusiastic buy it for Ty Siegel's Slaughterhouse. That is Best Coast with the title song from their second studio album, The Only Place. Best Coast led by one Bethany Cosentino, a child actress out of California. By the time she was 17, she was already being courted by labels because of some pop songs that she posted online. She decided to skirt all that, went to New York to school, joined this avant pop group called Pocahontas. Incredible homesickness apparently created a desire not only to go back to Los Angeles, but to form a new band with her friend Bob Bruno. The band became known as Best Coast. An EP and some singles in 2009 attracted a huge internet buzz. A debut album in 2010, Crazy For You, full of catchy songs. Video directed by Drew Barrymore, more high profile than ever. Now the follow-up record. The Only Place, recorded with John Bryan as the producer. John Bryan has worked with some pretty high-profile artists in his day. Amy Mann, Fiona Apple, Kanye West, Spoon, now Best Coast. We're going to play a track from The Only Place. It's called Why I Cry from Best Coast on Sound Opinions.
That is Why I Cry from Best Coast, album number two, The Only Place. Greg, a lot of people who fell in love with this band early on from the the releases that they floated on the net and then the first album are turning on them here, saying that that sunny girl group California pop sound, we've heard it before, what else have you got, Beth? This sounds too familiar. I disagree. I think that there's a darker undercurrent in the lyrics on this album that really gives you a wonderful sweet and sour mix with those sunny, wonderful California pop songs. You heard it in Why I Cry. Mm-hmm. There are other songs where she's considering being mistreated by, by a boyfriend and asking, you know, do you want me to sleep on the floor? She's thinking of her place in the world and she's not very happy at all times, which is in contrast, apparently, to her real life because she's really been been riding this, this wave that you said. I love that. And what's wrong with giving us another set of wonderful, sunny California pop songs? You listen to them once and they stick in your head. You can't get it out. I like this album very much. We're we're in danger here of liking everything we're reviewing on this show, but this is a great passel of records, so it's a buy it for Best Coast for me. It's a terrific summer record. There's no way around it. I don't see how, if you don't like pop music, uh, guitar-based, melodic pop music, you're not going to like this record. But if that's the thing for you, this is a wonderful example of that. John Bryan's done a really nice job of keeping the focus on her voice. I think she's got an incredibly strong, sure, sincere voice. I mean, you hear the sincerity, and that, that to me is key. If this were done ironically, tongue-in-cheek, I don't really believe in it, it would be a trasher record all the way. But she's feeling the pain. You know, it's darker. Yeah. It is more melancholy. The track that does it for me is a song, How They Want Me To Be, in which she says, here's what I want in a partner, and it's somebody who allows me to be myself. I just want to find that person in my life someday. All of my friends stick up their noses. They ask me where my money is and where does it go once I've spent it. But I don't want to be how they want me to be. You know, you get the sense from these songs that she still hasn't found that person, so hence the melancholy. Great tunes, great melody. I say buy it for Best Coast, the only place. Now it's time for you to give us your sound opinions on the air. Tell us what you think of these albums. Call 888-859-1800. You can also email interact at soundopinions.org or talk to us on Facebook and Twitter. We'll be back with our final review of the week, the new album by Nana Cherry. That's all coming up on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX.
welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Greg Cott with Jim DeRogatis, and that is Too Tough to Die from the new Nana Cherry record, The Cherry Thing. Nana Cherry, the stepdaughter of the great jazz trumpeter Don Cherry. She grew up in Sweden, moved to England, spent some time in New York, dropped out of high school and moved back to London to join several punk bands, including the post-punkers Rip Rig and Panic. She finally made her solo debut in 1989 with an album called Raw Like Sushi. Went on to sell three million copies. A huge international hit punctuated by that hit song Buffalo Stance. A mix of hip-hop, punk, jazz, dance, and experimental styles. Nothing sounded quite like Nana Cherry in 1989. Since then, she's been sporadically recording. She's done a handful of solo albums. She's done a couple of albums with a group called Circus. She's done numerous collaborations with groups like Massive Attack, Groove Armada, Gorillas, Teddy Bears. Now she's collaborating with this jazz trio, The Thing. It's a Norwegian-Swedish jazz band consisting of three pieces. Mats Gustafsson is perhaps the best-known member of that band on saxophone. He is an internationally famous jazz saxophonist. Now she's going back to her roots in jazz-inspired punk with this collaborative album, Nana Cherry and The Thing, the cherry thing. Here's a track called Cash Back on Sound Opinions. If I could only be like I always wanted, pictures in the magazines might seem more certain, but somewhere in between the lines, there's no plain reading, and you know that's why you put scales on me. My soul returnable, exchangeable, impressionable. My price tag sell by date, replaceable like vegetables. I think I'm built to last, can change the past, it was a blast. They think you're losing time, you realign, you treat me like cash
That is Cashback by Nena Cherry and The Thing from The Cherry Thing on Sound Opinions. Greg, that's one of the, uh, uh, her only original contribution to this album. It is primarily an album of covers, really interesting ones. Ornette Coleman, the rapper MF Doom, Suicide, The Stooges, Dirt. Great stuff. You know, I dropped some names of some influential albums earlier in the show. Radio Ethiopia by the Patti Smith Group and Funhouse by the Stooges. It's been one of the holy grails in rock history to try to merge the intensity of punk rock at its craziest with freeform jazz at its most inventive and freest and craziest. Nana Cherry has the heritage. You know, Don Cherry was a genius in that realm. And here she is covering Ornette Coleman with a great band and making it 100% her own. This album is nothing short of a masterpiece. Didn't write most of the songs. Like I said, who can cover Iggy Stooge and make it her own? She does. The vocals are as inventive as the music. It's a jazz album more than it's a rock album. But, you know, who's to say that Albert Eiler or Roland Kirk or or any of those freeform jazz? I mean, they were also, you know, feedback is feedback and chaos is chaos. What a record. I got to say, it's, it's another buy it for me on a really feel good episode of Sound Opinions. <laughs> We're easy today, Jim, but uh, these are great records. And I'm with you on this Nana Cherry record. I love free jazz when it's at its most ferocious. And I've seen Gustafson play a number of times, and he is an absolute monster He's on from the saxophone. The Peter Bratzman uh, group, yes. right? Blow your brains out school of, of saxophone from the 60s. He kind of harkens back to that era. He's a new young Turk in that lineage. And you're initially thinking, how's that going to work with, with Cherry? He was kind of like this figure that you recall from uh, the 89-90 era when she was kind of this dancey, hip-hoppy kind of thing. Well, as a vocalist, she has grown so much, I can't emphasize that enough. What a versatile instrument that voice is. You know, there's a little bit of hip-hop here, but she's also doing some fairly good jazz balladry in sort of a Billie Holiday mood. There's some of that trip-hop influence from the mid-'90s. Remember that she worked a lot with people like Massive Attack, so she's got that influence. And Jeff Barrow. She's channeling some Yoko Ono on a couple of these tracks, too. Clearly been listening to that stuff, the more experimental avant-garde stuff. That attitude she displays in Cashback when she's talking about, do I look like I'm for sale? Well, your whole career has basically said, no, you're not. You can jump from these different genre exercises and create your own thing. And she's doing it back better than ever on this record. It is one of the highlight records of her career, I think, as good as anything she's done since Raw Like Sushi. So, yes, Jim, we are easy. It's been a great week for music. The Cherry Thing is a buy it record. Tell you, little buddy, this whole island is bewitched. You remember, we were shipwrecked together. All right, I'm jumping on the boat with uh, Weezer and Dinosaur Jr. The Rock Cruise is heading out to the Desert Island to hear Jim DeRigatis and see what he picked for the Desert Island jukebox. Well, Greg, I was thinking about Nana Cherry's first band, Rip Rig and Panic, which was kind of a jazz funk punk group in the early 80s, just after punk in the U.K., when all the genre boundaries were torn down and you had a lot of groups emerging trying to mix unlikely sounds. I never got to see Rip Rig and Panic Live, but I did see a band that I always considered fellow travelers, Blue Rondo a la Turk. 
Rip Reagan Panic took their name from Roland Kirk. Blue Rondo Alaturk takes its name from Dave Brubeck, although it didn't sound anything like that. There was a lot of punk in there, there was some funk in there, and then there was a whole lot of Latin influence. A sort of the craziest Latin jazz a la Prez Prado, something like that. I just stumbled into this band one night when I went to see something else at the old Peppermint Lounge. I was a kid. I would just go out. You know, I didn't even care who was playing. I would just go to the clubs to see what was on. And here was this group from England, 14 members on stage. I think it was an eight-piece horn section. I had never seen horns be cool, and here they were cool. And they were all in zoot suits, (laughs) like 1920s-style zoot suits, led by this very talented vocalist-songwriter, Chris Sullivan. It was a great sound. It was impossible to hear this and not love it. There was one fine album called Chewing the Fat. It had followed a big hit in the U.K., Me and Mr. Sanchez. Did well in the U.K. in 1982. And then Blue Rondo Alaturk hasn't been heard from since. I had a vinyl copy, which is scratched to heck, you know, because it was a a party, go-to party record for me for like 20 years, right? I couldn't find this as a download on the net anywhere. Mm. It it kind of made me happy because I love the fact that there's still music out there that you can't get on the net, Mm. you know? Another forgotten piece of wonderfulness from that that fertile post-punk era. Here's their one and only hit, Me and Mr. Sanchez, Blue Rondo Alaturk on Sound Opinions. Turk on Sound Opinions, me and Mr. Sanchez. You ever hear that one, Greg? I have none. Great choice. I'm loving that. The Sound Opinions Desert Island Jukebox is sponsored by Maker's Mark Bourbon. Maker's Mark, it is what it isn't. What do we have on the show next week? Next week, Jim, a great singer is going to be our guest in the studio, Kelly Hogan. Greg, as always, we have some thank yous to say on the way out. Sound Opinions is produced by Jason Saldana and Robin Lynn. Our assistant producers are Annie Minoff and Michael DeBonis. And our intern is Deborah Olalea. Not to slight our fearless leader, our executive producer, Tori Southside Malatia. He's still holding out for the Justin Bieber rock cruise.
On Sound Opinions, everyone's a critic. So give us a call on our hotline, 888-859-1800. Should I call the operator? It's the number that he gave me my own bus pass. I've been sitting here and dining all day. Bus, got to get him and there must be a... New messages. Hi, this is Tom in upstate New York, Saratoga Springs. I'm calling to give my opinion for uh, album of the year, Dr. Dog. The album, Be the Void, an immaculate album. You know, Dr. Dog, in their last 10 years, have just expanded through every album with great songwriting, amazing harmonies, great melodies, uh, guitar that is just unbelievable. And now with the addition of you know two synthesizers, they've really just come together. I put on my finest bed, and I wrap up my body tight. With the sun in my eyes I step into the night Like the mystery in the dark Oh, it's just another kind of light I don't expect it to believe me But everything is alright funky, goofy, do-it-yourself 70s throwback sound in this album, and it's just it's nothing I've ever heard. If anything, that would be my pick. Great show. I listen every week. Thanks. Hi, Jim and Greg. It's Vaughn calling from Pennsylvania. I really wanted to thank you and agree with your with your Neil Young review, I thought that album would be kind of a nostalgia trip. Neil Young was sort of my parents' music, and, you know, when I was a little kid, I always thought, oh, his voice is so whiny, I don't get it. And uh, I'm happy to say I have come fully around to thinking and acknowledging how great he is. And those songs, the verses that he chooses, are so great. You know, that This Land is Your Land, the way that he starts it with that less-known verse... As I went walking, I saw a sign there, and on the sign it said no trespassing, but on the other side it didn't say nothing. That side was made for you and me. It's almost like the Jimi Hendrix Star Spangled Banner, you know, that kind of just little bit subversive little devilish smile as he's playing some classic old song and they're just having so much fun it's a great album and most importantly my five-year-old is into it because of course she knows all those songs and we've been singing them to her and now she's getting into neil young instead of the other canadian justin bieber so neil young is fighting the good fight (laughs) for our children (laughs) anyway take care love the show bye Hi, Greg and Jim. This is Dana White calling from Portland, Oregon. I work as a mastering engineer out here and really appreciate your comments about the new Mastered for iTunes system that Apple is using. Also, I'd like to mention the passing of a mastering legend, George Marino. George was behind the scenes working as a mastering engineer in New York for well over the last 40 years. And I recall seeing his name on the mastering credits of Stevie Wonder's Inner Visions, Cars' early albums, Coldplay's Rush of Blood to the Head, 
More recently, he mastered the Arcade Fire's Grammy-winning album, The Suburbs. George was one of the best ever. He uses work to reference daily. Thanks for the great show, guys. No more messages. To give us your opinions on Sound Opinions, call our hotline, 888-859-1800. We'll be back next week with more Sound Opinions, produced by WBEZ Chicago and distributed by PRX. 